Today on Frightful Failures on Film, we'll be talking to Joe Pincushion, a fellow host of Horrors and producer of the upcoming American Exorcist. So, come on down to the Museum of Monsters and Madmen and run, Rabbit, run, because it's time for... Frightful Failures! Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening once again to Frightful Failures on Film. I am one of your co-hosts, Zach Romero. Joining me is the man who stopped watching Serial after episode two because I didn't mention Captain Crunch, Tien Guignol. Hello, hello. Uh, We actually have a very, very special episode uh, this week because we have a wonderful guest who is living every horror nerd's dream, the wonderful host of Creepy Basement, Joe Pincushion. Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Outstanding. So, um, for just just to kind of bring up our audience up to speed to make sure everybody's on the same page here, can we give a little, uh, I guess, sales pitch almost, a little 10-second blurb on what exactly is Creepy Basement? All right, uh, sales pitch. Uh, Creepy Basement is a web series that I produce with Woodshop Films on Scrapple TV, and it's a place where I bring uh, local weirdos down and, and we talk about what it's like to be an uh, odd person, and we have a lot of fun. I guess that's that's what it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when you say local weirdos, uh, give us a few examples here. Who, who's been on the show? Well, I mean, when I, uh, I love artists. Um, uh, they're the greatest people on the planet. So I have people like I had Dave Deneen in, who actually is a local uh, special effects practical uh, makeup artist, and he did the Jesus for Dogma. He made the winking Jesus. He's really cool. Oh, Buddy Christ is the greatest. Yeah. Buddy Christ, and it's actually That's modeled amazing. after his face. So he took a picture of himself and then he carved it. So there, there's a, uh, and you can learn more about it on the Creepy Basement episode. But uh, and then um, one of my other episodes that I have a lot of fun with is. Uh, Skeletor actually comes to Philadelphia and hosts karaoke and he was nice enough to sit down in my creepy basement and uh, have a little chat with me. He's a lot of fun. He's great. I also saw uh, wow, that... Sergeant Kabuki Man and uh, Chikara wrestler Ophidian the Cobra who, yes. uh, who I've also interviewed before who is uh, is amazing. Actually my story about Ophidian and maybe Joe maybe you've experienced the same thing um, before the interview I, I asked uh, Ophidian if there was anything that he wanted us to steer clear of, if there's any like subject matter um, to uh, to avoid with him, and the only thing he said was, he goes, "Oh, I'm fully gimmicked," and I was, <laughs> and, and I didn't know what that meant, but I didn't want to be the uncool guy and ask what it meant, so I just went, "Oh, sure, no problem," and then he proceeded to have to do the entire uh, interview in character. Um, as a, as a human cobra, when I asked him like where he got his training from, and he told me he had uh, learned various combat styles in ancient Egypt, I was like, okay, uh, I, this is what we're doing then. All right, that's fair. So uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure it was probably a similar experience. Yeah, I actually know his wife. Um, oh, very she's nice. A performer in uh, the Philadelphia area, she's very talented. Uh, Kate Nix, if you guys, uh, she's she's a musician. Um, and a costume designer. Uh, uh, so I was like, yo, I want I want Ophidian in my basement because that's the best thing is interviewing characters for me. I don't want to talk to real normal people. <laughs> right, that's um, but uh, the, the, that guy's hardcore, man. Like he was telling me stories about all the different bones he broke. And like they are real athletes. They are. If you don't watch 
wrestling. Like they're the real deal. He's really cool. He's really awesome. Now, That's intense. Um, I guess what we like to do is sometimes is start from the beginning with somebody that has, as you said, pursued professionally being weird. So what we like to do is ask, well, how did you start with that? Or, or what sort of inspired you? What made you say, hey, I would like to get into this industry. This is what I would like to do. What sort of got you on that train? Well, I really think I have to quote the great American musician Lady Gaga when I say I was born this way. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I've always been a freaking weirdo. Um, I'm the black sheep of my family. My family is uh, Irish, Italian, Catholic from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I don't think they knew what to do with me. I was very rambunctious. But you know what? Like, my mother showed me movies like Young Frankenstein. I grew up watching that, like for a few years, like every day, straight. Um, uh, Beetlejuice also was a big influence on my life. So like I absorbed all these different weird movies and dark sense of humor. And then I just kind of liked being quirky. Uh, I was a quirky kid and then I did theater. And then, you know, when you, a quirky kid- I'll say no more at that point. We get it, if you've done theater, you're a weirdo. It was like, it was like, um, I I actually, the first part I ever auditioned for was The Wicked Witch of the West, and it was just like, oh man, all of these like roles that I've been watching for the past few years, you mean I can actually be them? Yes. So um, I think that's what really started everything. Uh, so needless to say, then part of the influence is that you've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it and keeps, it keeps getting, getting funnier, funnier every, every single time. time I see it. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good to hear. I actually, I went to Beetle House in New York. Uh, I got, I was one of the lucky people to get a reservation because Joe Pincushion is actually a uh, not my real name. Ooh, <gasps> and, um, what? I know. It's exclusive. So exclusive. Uh, and. Um, it's a Tim Burton reference because he's one of my main influences. Uh, he's always been one of my main influences through life. Uh, and plus it was my screen name when I was 16 years old. So it was just kind of easier to <laughs> pick that. Excellent. Um, and now you're 17. <laughs> right. No, now I'm, I, I have an LLC and I'm an adult and I'm like, what have I done? Uh, but um, That's cool though. Uh, we, we, uh, actually, I didn't even know the Beetle House was open yet. Uh, yeah, I just dude, heard about some of the... Uh, dude, I... How I was it? It was great. I felt like Carrie Bradshaw, a goth Carrie Bradshaw going to like an exclusive opening of a really cool restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but like I texted, like they had this method where you can text the number to try to get a reservation. And I was like, I have a lot of Twitter followers. I'm the biggest Tim Burton fan. If you don't let me in, I will show up anyway. So they were like, okay, <laughs> you can come I'll in. Say that, that's always a good way to get into something exclusive. Just keep threatening them until they let you in. Oh yeah. No, you gotta, you gotta start with the Twitter followers. Cause that's what really people really care about. It's just, mm. you know, <laughs> that's what gets me everywhere. Um, but it was great. Um, they have an actor there that uh, has does a great Beetlejuice impression. Um, I was really sad that he didn't hit on me at all during the night, though. Uh, <laughs> but I think you can go. I think they're booked as far as dinners go till November. Uh, but you can go get a drink, and they have a lot of really good cocktails. So check it out, Beetle House. I forget where it is. <laughs> what a what a really, what a stunning advertisement for them. The, the yeah, Beetle House. I don't know where it is. Go find it. I don't know where it is, and you can't get a reservation there. But check it out. <laughs> you can get drinks. You can get drinks that's with true. your friends. That's, that's that's what's important. Now, now, Joe, let me ask you this: since uh, Young Frankenstein and Beetlejuice and these sort of um, uh, th these films that have balanced 
horror elements and comedy, do you think that's what really influenced you most in sort of your upbringing? Uh, and not just like if you had just been raised on just straightforward horror films, do you think that that's kind of where the you learned at a young age that you can have a balance between horror and comedy? No, um, actually, oh. um, it, it, it's it's. I loved horror comedy. That's the first thing that I was introduced to. But then when I was actually shown actual horror movies, like they scared the shit out of me. I did not. I really reacted very very harshly to to horror films. Like I remember as a kid seeing um, Chucky on a news. My dad was like painting the living room and there was like Chucky on the newspaper like all over the living room and I was just like, this is not oh, cool. Had he, had he killed someone recently? <laughs> right, yeah. Was... I was like, why is Chucky everywhere? I did not like the alien when the alien was out. Like I was, I, I was really scared the whole time. And um, as I got older, um, like in high school and college, I started to appreciate horror movies for, you know, the art that they were because they weren't real. But I think um, horror, I like it because it gets physical reactions out of people. And I feel like horror and comedy are cousins. And I, huh. I, that's, I, I work best within both of those realms. So I like to be where the funnies are and the screams. Like, I like my horror bloody and I like my comedy dark. I guess. Well, hey, you're you're preaching to the choir here. We definitely are are on the side that believe that horror and comedy do go hand in hand. So obviously, we talked a little bit about kind of what initially inspired you to really say, "I'd like to work in movies" or "I'd like to work in horror." But I guess there's always that second step, which is once you've established, okay, I'd really like to be involved with this. That you decide here's specifically what I would like to be doing, and you've pursued uh, uh, becoming a, a horror host, which hey, we definitely understand, um, as well as uh, acting and producing. So what made you sort of uh, pursue those particular pathways or what doors did you force open for yourself? Um, I've always loved, like I said, uh, in college I, I went to LaSalle University. I majored in film and mass media. They didn't really have like a filmmaking uh, element and I really wanted to do that stuff. But my mother was like, you need to actually make money. Hmm. <laughs> Jokes on her. I don't make money now. So, but um <laughs> Yeah, um, so I went to school for uh, like critical thinking of film, and, and they had this class that was uh, horror films, where we watched uh, The Fly, Jaws, um, what else did we watch? Uh, all the, you know, standby and classics, and uh, it was just a great way for me to realize that I loved critically looking at film and uh, looking at horror and seeing that you know like the fly is is about watching someone you love like fall apart and die in front of you and that's terrifying like there's a and that genre has been around since the beginning and it will always be around and it will always make money um so i i just fell in love with it and then to coincide with that i i created a haunted house uh in my college on halloween where I put it together and I, I recruited the actors and I produced that. And I went from doing that in college to working at a haunted house uh, right out of college. Um, and then I worked behind the scenes for five years producing commercials and short films and other people's stuff. And uh, I always knew that I wanted to do horror. And I, I did a short in, I think, 20, uh, 2014 or 15, where I was like a cellar dweller. And that was really fun. But then um, I met Woodshop Films and uh, South Fellini. And South Fellini had their first film, Alpha Girls. And it screened in Philadelphia. And it was like everything that I thought, 
you know, independent horror should be um, from Philadelphia. And I was like, I want to be with those guys. I want to do what they're doing. So like, I kind of forced myself into the social circle and, um, there, and we started making creepy basement and he was writing the second movie and he's like, yo, Joanna, do you want to be in this? And it's like, yes, it's me. <laughs> um, and you know, for the, for, like for the first time in my life while making American exorcist, uh, I stopped and like enjoyed the present and like lived in the moment. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Making movies, uh, with my friends, um, playing characters that are really challenging. Um, cause I feel like that's really important, especially with our internet age now where we're always looking at our phones and we're always looking for the next best thing, like to be able to stand around and think, like I just want to be here right now. Like is something that you should I should strive to do like every day of my life. So there's my philosophical point of it too. Yeah, I was gonna say the, the, that could have been used as yeah. like an after school special thing. Like <laughs> reach for your dreams, kids. Um, Got deep real quick. Yeah. yeah, dude, I'm I'm full of peaks and valleys. <laughs> <laughs> so. With American Exorcist, um, tell us a little bit about that process. So you've obviously kind of been in from the ground floor. Um, just tell us a little bit about making movies. Like, what is it? Is it all? Is it uh, a cakewalk? Is it? Is it so stressful? You think you're going to puke blood? Like, what's the? Where's the? Where's the range? What, what's it like? Um, making movies is hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's it's really difficult. Um, I've been doing production. I've been like a PA for a long time and a production coordinator and basically when you sign up for a movie you're signing up for a minimum of 30 days of like 14 to 15 hour days uh with a bunch of with a bunch of creative people crammed into a small space or whatever place where you are so it's um very challenging physically and mentally but it's a whole lot of fucking fun (laughs) um uh it's basically like summer camp I think it's like, you just you don't talk to your you don't really see your family you 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 work really hard and, and you're up till like two or three in the morning and then you're back at it again at like eight o'clock the next morning um and it's just you're it's a place where you can be depending on you know the director but with tony and and johnny like it's a place where you can be like creatively free and um be a weirdo and just be yourself and it's just it's really fun to do stuff like that but there's definitely it's not a cakewalk there are things that like we said discussed earlier before we recorded this podcast there are things that happen during production that you that are unexpected and you have to like scramble together and fix it you have to figure it out really fast um but it was fun great so so i guess um one of my questions here is: uh, you're you're obviously acting in the movie, you're you're acting in American Exorcist, but you're also a producer of the film. And producer is a very broad term, so I guess I'm curious if you're one of the producers who really was very heavily involved in the creative process and and definitely had a say in kind of how things you know uh, talked with the director a lot, I guess I suppose, or if you were more kind of hands off and just hey, you know, I'm labeling this, I'm helped to pushing it out into the world here, uh, but I'm not gonna try and you know be another chef in the kitchen, which. Which, uh, which did you fall on on that spectrum? Well, um, it's funny that you say two, another chef in the kitchen. Like they're with it's two directors, so it's Johnny Zito and Tony Triv. So there's already two brains working at this story, uh, and uh, I felt that it wasn't my place to tell them how to write 
their thing or how the movie was supposed to go. Um, but it was always fun to kind of watch. Like, as I was with Zito. Uh, I actually would drive him home from the studio every day. So I would, like, listen to him and, and talk, telling me, like, different parts of the plot that he's thinking of and, and different, I call them eureka moments where I, I see them come to a point and they, they come up with this great concept for the film. Like they're still doing it now in post. Like we just locked the edit, but they switched something, they did something and it, it makes the film even better. Like to watch them make these strides to make the film better is really, as, as a friend too, great. Um, so I didn't feel like I had to say anything in that regard. Plus, you know, when it's my turn to start directing, they're not going to have a say in any of it. <laughs> um, uh, now, 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 here's my attempt to connect these two subjects we've talked about. Are you ready? Is everybody prepared for this? I'm ready. So, Joe, have you found that there are any guests or aspects from Creepy Basement that helped better prepare you for work on this film like i know talking to uh, lloyd kaufman and things like that has has did did creepy basement kind of help to prep you for full-blown movie making um i wouldn't say it because i've been producing in philadelphia for i was producing in philadelphia for a long time so um i uh we br- I brought a lot of my skills to Woodshop, like uh, coordinating. Um, I recruited crew for uh, American Exorcist, like production assistants, a line producer. Um, I provided the hair and makeup crew, so I helped do a lot of the coordinating and bringing the team together. Uh, so And doing Creepy Basement was a way to exercise my craft. Mm. Uh, and I highly encourage that anyone that is creative, anyone that wants to be an actress or a filmmaker should start doing a web series and make it easy to do. Don't make it too complex and just do it over and over and over again. And that way you're always creating and you're getting your name out there. So Creepy Basement and Scrapple TV has definitely helped us keep our um, our creative wits about us and uh keep the word going and then we piggybacked you know on top of scrapple tv and just went into production for american exorcist and we got like a great reception and people were were really supportive and it was it was a lot of fun that's great man we're getting a lot of like follow your dreams kids this episode that's that's fantastic <laughs> this is, this is a uh, a pleasantly surprisingly optimistic interview about Truly like filmmaking interview. it's not like hey listen i haven't slept in 30 days don't ever right. get into the movie industry <laughs> well, I'm in like I'm in like a great place right now where um, I just moved to New York City, taking classes at Upright Citizens Brigade. I'm taking acting classes at the Penny Temples in Studio, and I was told like no my whole life. I was told you can't pursue that, or are you really sure you want to do that? Um, and I pushed past it, and, and I'm I'm still struggling. I haven't made it yet, but. Uh, I really believe that if there's something inside you that won't shut up, you have to actually eventually listen to it. <laughs> to, 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 to veer off for, for two seconds here, um, because I'm a little bit of a comedy nerd, uh, what's been uh, your experience with UCB? How's that been? Oh my God, it's great. It's so um, creatively inspiring. Like I'm learning, I'm in 201 right now, um, so it's getting a little bit more difficult, but you're learning just it helps with life just to say yes and um it helps you uh come up with stuff for work like i also write so it helps me come up with ideas i do stand up it helps with my stand up um and the ultimate goal for me to take these improv classes was for it to help me with my acting 
uh, to help make scenes more organic. So it's just, uh, I highly recommend. I even had um, sales executives in my class, like just going to, to learn from UCB and, and it was a lot of fun. So it's great. I'm, and I'm really impressed. And if anyone's ever in New York City, go see a UCB show. They're only like $5 on the weekdays and $10 on the weekends. And it's like the best comedy you'll see in the city. You're it's booking great. somebody's whole week if they go to New York, so they have to go to Beetle House, no reservation, <laughs> just have a drink, then take a glass of UCB. Yeah. Hey, it's affordable. <laughs> um, it's only five bucks, and you're supporting young comics. Mm, true. They need your laughs, or they die. <laughs> <laughs> and then it got really grim at the end. Now, let me ask about, um, I guess, in both in both projects, Creepy Basement and American Exorcist, um, is, is there anything, what's your next goal, seeing as you're in a good place, you, you're... You're, a lot of things are kind of coming up you right now. What is your next goal? What's the next level for you? Um, is it like, oh, I have Stephen King on Creepy Basement, or oh, you know, it's a it's a all tranny remake of Psycho or something like that? Like, what's the next? What's the next uh, big obstacle for you? What's the next big goal? I am really right now. Um, I'm hoping that you know when the movie comes out, I'll have more opportunities to play uh, weird, interesting characters. Uh, so I, I'd really like to pursue acting with. You know, not only my our own projects at, at uh, Woodshop Films, but with other directors and other people, I think that would be a lot of fun. I love the horror genre, but I'm open to you know, I'm open to anything. I'll miss anything. Uh, but and um, as far as Creepy Basement goes, I definitely want to try to get bigger names in the basement. I feel like Philadelphia's weirdos are great, but I've I've gotten the best of the bunch. Um, I would love to have Bill Bill Mosley in my Creepy Basement. Um, so maybe when we release the movie, I'm going to be like, oh, hey, Bill, come into my creepy basement. And you won't think that's weird at all. So <laughs> that would be really I'm, I'm a huge Bill Mosley fan. So it was like very I had to like cool down like my nerd. I had to like chill. I had to be professional. But like inside, I was like geeking out every day <laughs> watching Bill Mosley work. <laughs> I was like, ah, yeah, I'm realizing that we sort of jumped into American Exorcist without giving really uh, hardly any setup about it at all. Can you give us a little bit about uh, who's in this movie? What's it about? When, when should we look forward to seeing it? Uh, so <clears throat> American Exorcist takes place in a haunted skyscraper on Christmas Eve. And it follows... Uh, f- um, this is horror diehard? Is that what you're telling me? Right, yeah. Hey, it's like inspired by all of the great Christmas movies. So yeah, Die Hard probably is an inspiration of this movie. Um, uh, the uh, Georgette Dubois, played by Fallon Jocelyn, is a paranormal, a skeptical paranormal investigator that comes to debunk the whole uh, theory that this this skyscraper is haunted. Um, so she comes and she does it on Christmas Eve, and shit goes down. I think that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Uh, it's really original. It's really fun. I mean, there are moments when we are shooting the, the film and it, it gets campy and I'm just like, I love this movie. It's so weird. <laughs> uh, I play, uh, uh, well, another person that's in it that you might know is Bill Mosley, uh, who was in awesome movies like Chainsaw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, The Devil's Rejects. Um, he plays... Uh, uh, a janitor of the skyscraper. Um, and I play this character called uh, Holly, and you see her in the beginning of the film. Uh, so American Exorcist starts out uh, with a bang, I guess is what I would say. 
She this so. this lady's a professional. She knows how to uh, how to entice people and get them in there, and not just in in, yeah. in vague descriptions of where our Beelzebub's house is. But no, that's amazing. I can't wait. <laughs> Do we have a projected maybe release date? Maybe sort of. We are uh, like I said. They just uh, we locked the edit, and we're still um, we're almost at the end of post. So we're hoping to get it uh, out by Halloween. So uh, hoping to have it, you know. For your eyes, but we definitely want to take it around uh, the USA, um, meet people that want to see the movie, and make it a cool event. So we would really uh, like to be able to do that uh, next year as well. So I'm sure you guys will see it. Oh, yeah. Believe me, as a producer, I've been like yelling at them. I was like, I need a date, guys. Come on. <laughs> well, it's perfect because if it's if it comes out around Halloween, excellent. If it doesn't, yeah. if it needs to be pushed back, perfect to release it around Christmas because it takes place. Yeah. Like- the- the hope is that it gets like it gets the Halloween push, and then it lulls a little bit, and then it gets the Christmas push. So, um, my uh, my grandchildren are gonna like be so sick of it every year. I'm gonna be like, all right, guys, let's listen, to, let's watch American Exorcist. They're gonna be like, Mom, I'm no, <laughs> I'm sick of this movie. We want we want to watch Avatar 37. <laughs> no, they're so, gonna be like, uh, to- be like, I want to watch Elf. I'm like, no, we don't watch right. that. This is the tradition. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so to get the uh, the plugs in right now, then um, where should we be looking forward to finding us? Is it going to be uh, digital on demand? We're going to be finding all your favorite iTunes, all that, or, or where should we be looking for it? Yes, uh, we're pushing. We, I, I think we have uh, distribution for iTunes and Amazon Prime, but you know, Netflix is the hope. Uh, hell, a theater distribution is the hope. We uh, honestly, guys, the budget for this was very minimal. But uh, it was the best people in Philadelphia coming together for a common cause, and it looks like a million-dollar movie. Like it's shot, it's beautiful, it's uh, the special effects, uh, the practical special effects are amazing, um, and I think horror fans are really gonna dig it. So I'm just hoping. That's the thing. Another thing about filmmaking: anyone that wants to get into it, like you're gonna make something, and then you're gonna wait like a year and a half for anyone to see it. <laughs> just long enough to 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 kill the momentum for you on the inside, yeah. and just to go, oh yeah, I did make that. Now let me ask. Yeah, everyone around you's like, like, oh, sure, Joanna, sure. She she's telling everyone she has a movie coming out. <laughs> sure, sure you do. Uh, <laughs> just for everybody's Christmas gifts, it's just a picture of like the poster for the movie. Like it's gonna come out soon, I promise. Um, no. <laughs> So you mentioned uh, Tim Burton being a major influence. Um, obviously, you know you you kind of wear a lot of hats. You're your host, your actress, your producer. Um, what would you say is an influence um, for each of them? Like, what's what? Who was an influence for your interview technique? Who's an influence for you as like a filmmaker? And who's an influence for you as an actor? Oh God, these are very layered. I love these questions, by the way. Um, nobody asks me these things. Good. That's um, what we're trying to do. Oh, man. Well, uh, director, you know, um, is uh, Tim Burton, obviously. Mel Brooks is a big um, voice in my head. Uh, uh, Producer, I I mean, I kind of fell into the producer role because uh, girls, if you're listening to this and you're going to be a filmmaker, guys are going to try to push you into roles that you don't want to be in, but then you can, you know, strive anyway. So, I mean, when I first started (laughs) in filmmaking, they were like, you're a producer. And I was like, but I want to be a director. They're like, nope. <laughs> so, um, 
but uh, I, I definitely like the role now, um, the way I, I did it with American Exorcist, because I like bringing people together. Uh, but as far as like a host, oh man, I don't. I try to be. A Joe, I mean, Joe Pincushion is me, but it's also like its own little quirky character. But I really admire Stephen Colbert. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stephen Colbert is just like a huge uh, influence of mine um, and John Stewart and those guys. Um, so I guess I try, I don't know, because like Stephen Colbert does the, when he was the Colbert rapport for kids that don't remember, like how many, like three, four years ago. You're right, if that, yeah. <laughs> um, All the way back in literally a year ago. Yeah, like uh, I, I, I can never say that I'm as good as him, but I definitely strive to be as good as anyone that does fake news. <laughs> and when you when you say that, just a quick follow up on that. When you say in terms of being like Daily Show or being like Colbert Report, does that mean that uh, your version of Joe Pincushion when interviewing sort of, uh, I guess, plays dumb a little bit, or you know, guides interviews in a specific? I'm dumb? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm yeah, saying I'm like, that. Uh, where are you going you know, with this? Like, I'm saying like uh, obviously the Daily Show and Colbert Report, uh, they bring on their specialists, their interviews, their their heads to interview somebody not as themselves, not as to have their genuine reaction to something, but to be that version of that character and to say, wow, so like, you know what is a haunted house? You know. Yeah, I feel like Joe Pincushion's little. Um, She's a little innocent and a little naive sometimes. That's what I would say. Is better than dumb. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe that was, really... a, that was a poor word choice. We're going to edit that out. Uh, so... right, exactly. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, leave it. Leave it. It's fine. Um, but no, it's uh, she likes to play along with whoever's in the basement with her. Like it's a place. It's a. I want it to be a safe place where people can just be whatever they want to be. Like I had uh, Starwood in my basement. It's just, uh, it, it's an alien from another planet that has come to Earth to tell Earth not to invade their planet in the future. Perfectly logical. And he has like a star helmet, like a, a mirror ball helmet. And, you know, I talk to him like he's a you know normal person. And that's how I treat everybody in life is just like, I try to make it like a safe place for people just to be weird. Cause that's what we want to see. We want to see, these quirky people do like these like cool things. So I guess that's what. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Safe, but creepy place. Sounds very cool. Yeah. Well, well, Hey Joe, we actually want to try something a little, a little new here with you. I'm sure uh, you're familiar maybe with uh, when you were a kid reading those choose your own adventure novels where you get a choice and you get to flip to a particular page based on what choice you make. Uh, I believe even goosebumps did a couple of those. Uh, we'd like to do that version with you in this interview. Oh, here. Cool. So we're going to set you up for a little situation and you're going to have some choices, but you're also going to have some questions in here. We'll have some questions for you along with your choices so we'll, we'll prompt you when necessary here but why don't we go ahead and set the scene because joe right now you're alone at home your dream home that is and what kind of home is that uh it's a cottage with a lot of land <laughs> cottage with a lot of land excellent so it's yeah. late at night in this cottage with a lot of land a lot i'm not sure what a lot is but a lot of land the lights are off like in There's the woods no one you know? In the woods. Good. Okay, perfect. That sets the scene perfectly. The lights are off and there's no one else around. You have no neighbors. There's a lot of land. You're watching yeah. your comfort movie, one you've seen a million times and could watch a million more times. What movie is that? Oh, all right. I guess I'd have to see Young Frankenstein. 
Young Frankenstein. So you're sitting back, you're watching Young Frankenstein, you're feeling yourself getting tired, your eyes are getting heavy, sleep is fast approaching, and all of a sudden, you hear a noise outside, too loud to be the wind. What do you do? First option, turn on the lights and investigate, or sneak to the window and peer out. Oh, I turn on the lights, if I'm going to be honest. You turn on the lights? Yeah. Okay, so... So you turn on the lights. So you get up, you click on the lights. From outside, near where you heard the first noise, you hear a scurry. Loud. Much too loud to be a raccoon or a possum. Could be you spooked a deer. Could be something else. Uh-huh. You look out the window and you see nothing. You shrug it off and you go to the kitchen to fetch your favorite movie snack, which is what exactly? Popcorn. Excellent. As you dig into the popcorn and gulp down uh, uh, favorite beverage of choice... Uh, red wine. Red wine and popcorn. What a classy viewing of Young Frankenstein. Hey. Uh, so anyway, no, so I you're did. working on that, and you get a, you get a phone call on your home phone for some reason, despite it being 2016, and no one has a home phone anymore. But you, you get a call on it anyway. Mm-hmm. You answer, and you hear a creepy voice say, "What is your favorite Quentin Tarantino film?" Oh God, uh, Pulp Fiction. Excellent, excellent. Uh, before you're able to ask as the, to the identity of the mysterious caller, you hear the shatter of glass from across the house. What do you do? Do you grab a knife and go to the source of the noise? Or do you run to your room and lock the door? Uh, grab a knife. Excellent. So, you slide a large butcher's knife out from its block and grip it tightly, moving quickly but quietly down the hall to your room that the noise came from. On your way, you pass your framed copy of your favorite album. Um, Pink Floyd's of the Wall. Pink Floyd's of the Wall. You finally reach the bathroom from which the sound has emerged. You place your hand on the door and swing it open, revealing a dog, a Siberian husky. It looks up at you, panting, tail wagging. What do you do? Do you kneel down and pet it, or do you close the door, leaving the dog in the bathroom? I kneel down and pet it. Animals love me. So you crouch down and scratch behind the dog's ears. It nuzzles up to your hand. Then large tentacles emerge from its back and pierce through your chest, killing you. Oh, What do you want written on your tombstone? Bury me upside down so the world can kiss my ass. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, here. Let me just, for anybody listening, we totally didn't have that prepared. This woman is just so, that's what the UCB classes will teach you. She had that locked exactly and loaded. Right. I'm getting my money's worth. That Woo! should be, yeah, that should be written on their ad for those classes. Like, <laughs> good for, you know, executives who need to be on their feet during an interview or, a, you know, a, a business meeting and also learning to, you know, classy tombstone <laughs> engraving. So, that's actually excellent. the second well, day of class. They're like, all right, guys, let's think of tombstone engravings. <laughs> It's not so much trustful exercises as what are you going to tell people when you're dead? Perfect. Well, well, well. hey, we appreciate you uh, playing our little game here for the first time. We're so sorry that you died. Unfortunately, no, I knew that was remember Siberian Huskies, they can't be trusted. No, I love, no, I love Siberian Huskies because they're little dicks, but um, <laughs> they are. They're just like the biggest freaking dicks. I swear I heard that on the on the dog whisperer. Like, oh, Siberian Huskies, you know, the ones that are little dicks. <laughs> They're such dicks. No, come here, I be um, a Siberian Husky, you little dick. No, I shouldn't say that because uh, Johnny Zito actually has a Siberian Husky named Ziggy, and she's, like, great. But um, I knew I was going to die. I always die on those adventure books. As soon as you said it, I was like, I'm going to die. 
<laughs> that's why you got to keep your finger on the page. Right, it's so true. You, you go back. Is really oh, I didn't do it. I didn't say anything. Exactly. Skim quickly. Well, well, excellent, Joe. It's been it's been great having you here. We really, really appreciate it. Um, by the way, uh, I think you would mention, if I'm not mistaken, you know that Bill Mosley is in the cast, and you know that you were nerding out as well. That's that's awesome. I mean, uh, uh, I'm curious, sort of. With your filming experience with him, I mean, like, uh, I don't know, like, what did he, what did he like to eat? Like, what did you guys eat on set? Uh, we had, I think we had Taco Tuesdays when we were there. Although Bill did say he did have the correct answer for me when I asked what kind of cheesesteak he liked from Philly. Really? What did he say? He well, do you guys? Are you, have you ever been to Philadelphia? Any of you guys? No, we we we're pretty much trapped where we are. Oh, you're trapped. Yeah, oh, true. he said Jim Steaks, which is the correct answer. Any ah. Philadelphia fan will tell you. Interesting. Tip. So, uh, you know, obviously getting to kind of talk shop with Bill Mosley. I mean, uh, uh, what, what is what is what does Bill Mosley smell like? Just out of curiosity, the, the, the fans want to know. The fans are asking us. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not us. We. Yes, that is the number one question we get asked. Is what? Do, and without even knowing mm. that you were going to be a guest, they always ask us, "What is Bill Mosley?" They some, like? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a common question, definitely. Oh, okay. I mean, they are fans of you know Rob Zombie, so that doesn't surprise me. Um, exactly. So, uh, Bill smells like a human. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wouldn't have guessed that. Um, did you ever maybe see him like like empty out his pockets sometimes, and maybe did, you know if you happen to like collect any of the like pocket lint or or anything like that, like from when he empties his pockets out, um, no, or, or any of small lint. items. I, I didn't no, collect you'd... the lint or anything, but I did take a picture of it on my cell phone. Oh, good, good. So, now, okay. now, if you had to rate the level of security that's around Bill Mosley at any time, would you say it's uh, incredibly accurate or adequate and uh, and safe, or would you say woefully un you know prepared and and possibly you know um, open for for random meetups? Uh, do you guys try planning on uh, running into Bill Mosley anytime? Just, just, we are, we are a show of the people, and the people want to know these things. I don't even they know. Want to know. That. They want to know if he if he if he has you know a, a kind of security guard with him at any point, or if he's yeah, kind of I mean, uh, unprotected. I, uh, I, I do know that Bill Mosley's an animal lover, so he might have a Siberian husky that has tentacles. So I would watch out. Animal. Okay, got it. All right. Um. And I guess, um, obviously, you're, you're, you, you know, like you said, uh, filming is sometimes like a summer camp. You know, you guys are, you know, get together. It's kind of intimate. So, uh, you know, maybe if at some point you were trying to fit him for the janitor costume, uh, did you ever maybe, I don't know, like uh, walk in? Maybe he's, you know, I don't know, not doesn't have the janitor costume all, all the way on. Could all you right, maybe you get, give us like a detailed... These aren't questions from fans. You guys just want to know intimate details about Bill Mosley's underwear, and I'm not coming up. What? Joey, Joe, Joe, come the, on. We're all the friends. Gall, right? The gall <laughs> on this woman. Celebrities deserve some privacy, guys, and whatever underwear Bill Mosley wants to wear is his goddamn business. I'm, I'm okay, done. Okay, and, that, and that's absolutely fine, but okay, all we're so asking is maybe please. you could just send us a picture of it. Joe? Joe, you still there? Hello? It's the second time oh that this God. thing is just... The I, phone I system this. here is just garbage. I can't... It, it is. I can't... We really need to get these lines fixed. You know, I keep telling you to call the guy. You know, well, you know, I got some other things on the plate, so... Okay, all right. Well, anyways. Well, uh, well, I guess that's Joe Pinkushin, then. I guess we'll have to... 
we'll keep an eye on uh, when American Exodus comes out, and uh, I guess we'll we'll we'll, compare, we'll continue to compare notes about you know what uh, Bill Mosley might look like in his underwear. So, yeah. anyways, uh, the other thing that I wanted to discuss uh, today was uh, a trailer came out for a new film. Now it said uh, from the makers of the Evil Dead. Now, now Tian, do you know specifically? What that is in reference to, like, is Sam Raimi producing this, or... Uh, you know, I think that they're referring specifically to the director of the 2013, if That's I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll double-check on that, but but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's it's I believe it's the director of the 2013. This is his new horror flick. Uh, called uh, Don't Breathe, which, so the trailer just came out for that. Now, um, so I thought it was interesting that, that we were talking about this because we did just watch Hush, uh, which is the horror movie about the, the deaf woman. So I'm I'm interested in this weird uh, subgenre of horror, this handy capable horror, uh, you know, films that that are seemingly coming out now. But Tian, what did you think about the the trailer? And I guess the you past. know, uh, obviously the trailer looks looks very interesting. But but to build off of what you're saying, no, I'm glad that you brought this up because it's so almost too weird, too. Oh, this is just a coincidence that this would come out so soon after Hush, which has achieved a lot of critical success. Um, people really, really like Hush and say it's a nice new turn on the, on the genre. And this is not just, oh, hey, um, we're doing a movie about a blind guy. This is almost the exact same type of horror, the claustrophobic, stuck-in-a-house type of uh, horror film. Um, the almost reverse home invasion, uh, because uh, for those of you who haven't seen the trailer yet, essentially what they're setting up is that uh, a girl I don't recognize and the kid from Goosebumps uh, are sort of down on their luck, and so they know that nearby in their neighborhood is this blind man who's supposedly loaded, and they say, hey, uh, we're not bad people, but maybe because he's so rich, I mean, sure, he doesn't need all that money, why don't we sneak into his house you know, take it right under from his blind nose and uh, leave. And then we'll, we'll be a little bit more well off. What they don't know is that the blind man is uh, the bad guy from Avatar who's huge and is potentially our new cable. Not that that has any bearing on you. Um, and it, so it quickly becomes a horror film, a reverse uh, home invasion, as I said, where they're in his home trying to get out and he's, He's about to lay some ass whooping on him. And the gimmick is that the movie's going to be in the dark because that's the thing. He's, he says halfway through the trail, "Oh, now you're going to see what I see." And he shuts off all the lights, so they're stumbling around mm -hmm. in the dark. That's the gimmick of the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting. You know what it reminded me of? It mm -hmm. reminded me of Fright Night. Yeah. Being you in know, Jerry's house, like that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, obviously, there's got to be. Uh, you don't see a lot of the plot beyond what we just described to you. But there's something else going on because you can tell they get into some sort of secret room of this house that looks like a laboratory, and then there's some weird, like Samara-looking woman that lunges at one of our protagonists at one point. So. I think, obviously, just for the sake of movies being movies and this being that he's supposedly the villain of this movie, they're going to set up that he's some kind of, I don't know, mad scientist or Satanist or something is, is messed up with this guy. And that's how they justify that this blind man is killing people that broke into his house, but still setting him up as the bad guy. Because otherwise, you'd just be like, oh, well, he's fully within his rights, so go yeah, for way it. To go, way to go this blind guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> Um, now, actually, let me take it back to just a comment that you made uh, about the, 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 I guess, the potential villain of this movie potentially being Cable. And you said not that that would mean anything to you. I will have you know 
that I fucking watched Deadpool, okay? You watched Deadpool? I fucking watched it, all right? I saw oh! it on TV. I watched the whole goddamn thing. How do, okay, what'd you think? It was great. I loved it. absolutely <laughs> loved it. Um, I... I didn't want to necessarily because the fucking hype train is in full effect, but it sure uh, is, yeah. But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was excellent. Excellent, um, excellent. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm curious what because I know that uh, for some reason some some of your connections, which I, I'm curious about sometimes, you know a surprising amount of like minute details about movies that you haven't seen, like when you referenced um, uh, Bruce Wayne calling Wayne Towers during the movie going down, during the towers going down, <laughs> and you hadn't even seen BVS. And I'm like, how does he know this? So what did you know about Deadpool and what, what was a surprise to you in the movie or what, what caught you off guard or um, made you laugh? You hadn't already heard. Really? Interestingly enough, I knew of, uh, the, I didn't know quite as much about Deadpool as I did Batman and Superman because everyone just sort of summed it up as, Oh, it was amazing. That was pretty much it. So, uh, in this case, I knew there was a pegging scene. Um, I knew that there was a lot of swearing. I knew that obviously cable or, um, that Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead were in it. Um, but that was about the extent of it. There wasn't really a lot that was spoiled for me. Um, not to, not to try and spin off too much, but I think my, my one complaint about Deadpool, just to be sort of contrarian for a moment, is that it's a very uh, small-minded picture, in a sense. When you really think about it, there's almost two settings to the movie. Really three, if you count the workshop that he becomes Deadpool in. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, the highway scene, which is, like, literally half the movie, you know, because it keeps cutting back to that same scene, and you get the, the later scene with Colossus there, and the, the whole deal. And then there's the hangar at the end, and that's, like, the two scenes in the movie the two fight scenes so it's almost kind of small-minded in a sense where you're kind of like okay i get it this is the test footage that they reshot for the movie can we move past the highway please and so it's one of those things where uh it makes me very excited for deadpool 2 because i feel like they don't have to worry about oh let's recreate this scene that people have already uh, you know uh, watched or you know let's let's really set up the character of Deadpool and do a lot of backstory that that I'm really excited for where they go with the second film. Yeah, I was pleased that they kind of they found an interesting way to do the origin story and I also uh my really only complaint was when they went to the Xavier Institute. Now I know they make jokes in it. They make it like he makes a joke that like all oh, these are the only two people uh Colossus and Negasonic are the only two people there because you know they couldn't afford to bring the other characters in. But I really wish they had not to interact with Deadpool, but just to, like, the campus was, uh, like, ridiculously empty for being, yes. you know, a school that's supposed to be brimming with, with mutants. There was mm-hmm. just nobody around. So even yeah. if it had just been people in the background, I would have been like, oh, okay, great. You know, the, yeah. that just, would have done something for me. Beast on the ceiling reading a book or whatever, you know. Yeah, I something been okay simple that. like that would have been just fine. But the fact that it was like, it's literally just these two, and that's it. It's like, well, that yeah. just seems weird then. I feel like the the joke of, oh, the production studio didn't have enough money to hire any more X-Men, that joke is not strong enough for them to even go to Xavier's school at all. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. So, so. Uh, but yeah, I thought Colossus was great. I, loved, I, I thought that was a really well-done version of that character. I thought Negasonic was very interesting. Um, I was surprised that we didn't get their backstories at all. Not that we, not that I necessarily wanted them, but like in all superhero movies, they usually go like, "Oh, here's the storyline of this person," and blah blah blah. No, they were like, "Well, you either know who Colossus is or you don't," and here's a character. You know, she blows stuff up. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad they didn't go into any of that. It's a, it would have felt very unnecessary to me, and I'm glad. I like when a movie assumes your intelligence or assumes 
that you can just accept a character for what it is, even if you don't know who Colossus is. And nobody knows who Negasonic is, but you can just accept these characters as they're presented to you, and you don't need to know, like, well, hang on. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so breaking news here at, at Frightful Failures as we talk about Deadpool four fucking months after it's come out. Like, aren't we relevant? <laughs> uh, so, anyways, back to Don't Breathe. Um, I think it still looks very, very good. I, I, once again, I, I, I wonder how, if at all, Hush influenced. I'm not going to pretend to know this movie's production schedule, but just given the fact that Hush was released uh, either late last year or early, early this year, and this is now scheduled to come out in fall, I believe, um, it, it's very interesting to me to think, well, Mr. Fede Alvarez, who is indeed the director and writer of um, the 2013 Evil Dead, which I love, um, this is going to come out in August. And I'm wondering, you know, surely he had this idea this movie was already in production, but did Hush affect his filming of this movie and kind of what he's doing in post? Or is he just like, nope, this is a separate thing and just kind of claiming ignorance, uh, plausible deniability, and just going with that, I wonder. Now, here's my concern, and, and I guess we'll wrap with this, is, uh, you know, he, he showed, the director showed that he can he can work really well with with the Evil Dead remake. So I don't, I'm not questioning him. What I'm questioning is, is this a movie based off a very clever idea that they really want to put it behind? Or is this a new gimmick like uh, Paranormal Activity? Because especially the scenes where it's just like zoomed in on their face with the big black pupils and they're bopping around in the dark. And I'm like, is that the gimmick? Like, are we just building to that? Like, that's the spooky haunted house jump scare the movie like is that what we're building towards or are we actually building a full-fledged well-thought-out movie and it just so happens that that's the most easily marketable aspect yeah and and i'm hoping not i think that like you said with your confidence in uh fede i'm hoping that honestly that scene that we see where he's like okay enter my world now and he shuts off all the lights in the house i'm hoping that's like final act type shit you know right. that we're not getting uh, uh, two-thirds of the movie in complete pitch-black darkness. I, I really hope not. Um, and I'm hoping that, like Hush, this movie will meet your expectations and do what you would want a movie in which your protagonist is blind to do, just like Hush did what you would want a movie where your protagonist is uh, deaf to do, that it would do that, but also hit us with some surprises to, to maybe surprises about who this character is, about what's really going on in this house, yada, yada. Interesting. All right. Well, like I said, that'll be something that you'll have to watch and tell me about, and I won't see for another six months. So Yeah. And then uh, we'll talk about six months later. We're, we're very relevant on this show. We'll talk that's about what we 90s movies and, and movies that came out in the theater uh, four months ago. That's exactly what we're here for. So anyway, uh, again, thank you so much for listening and supporting Frightful Fairs on Film, make sure to uh, like, subscribe, uh, comments on, on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, MySpace, uh, there's Friendster. No, there's, no, there's no MySpace, there's no, there's no Friendster. Just, just tw Twitter, Fright, Fright Failures, Instagram, Frightful Failures. Leave us a review. Email us if you love us. We're FrightfulFailures at Yahoo.com. Email us if you don't love us. We'll tell you to fuck off, as we said. Feel uh, free to ask about our hogs. Uh, please. Go to the GeoCities site for Frightful Failures. And uh, I guess until next time, I am Zach Romero. And I am Tian Guignol. Thank you for listening and continue circulating the tapes. Thanks for listening. If you liked Joe Pincushion and how could you not, check out more of her work on JoePincushion.com. That's J-O-Pincushion.com. 
and Creepy Basement with Joe Pincushion on YouTube. Also, keep an eye out for American Exorcist coming out later this year. Uh, oh, uh, he's coming. I, I gotta go. See you next week. <laughs>